Welcome to episode 175 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. I don't know about you, but I've been working on a new project, as well as uh, sort of an old one. I, 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 I sort of was feeling that some of, some of uh, my play, The Commandment, was missing a little something. So I went back and I added a little bit. Um, things that, that have kind of been after, after performing it as many times as I had, I, I sort of realized that there were some, some holes, some things that needed to be filled. So, so I filled them and I, I think it's pretty good. And then uh, there's this, this piece that I'm planning to perform in, in December. And, uh, it, it, I sort of reached this point where there was this super, super rough draft of it. And, uh, I wanted to read that to, uh, my collaborator and uh, um, figure out, you know, what you know, I need to, you need to read these things. These things need to be. You sort of need to do it in front of somebody. So first, I started with with the the commandment and the new bits, and and uh, he really liked those, and I felt really good about them. They felt really strong to me. Um, and then uh, we got to the super rough draft of the new bit, and um, it was bad. I mean, there's good to it. There's some good stuff, but I don't think it. It's certainly not ready for prime time. But reading it out loud kind of kind of taught me enough. In addition to to sort of being a little bit disheartening, it's it's hard to read that rough the rough draft for somebody with all of its holes and imperfections and and things like that. It's it's really it's it's difficult to to make that sound good. You know, it's 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 a difficult thing, um, and I certainly felt that. In fact, I, I I sort of was wondering as I. As I went through it, I was sort of like wondering, does he hate this? Um, but I'm, I'm, I trust him enough that if he absolutely hated it, he would he would tell me. But it was still a very difficult thing to do and to actually read it out loud and, you know, realize which parts are really good, but really have it hit home which parts are bad. And there's still a lot of work to be done. And uh, so that piece um, it needs a lot more work. And hopefully the commandment, well, we're still on, on the waiting list f to do that uh, this summer. And so uh, watch my, uh, if there's an announcement, I'll put it on uh, my uh, personal uh, Twitter, Insta, and, and, and Facebook feed. So, you know, watch there if you're interested. Um, but, you know, writing is, is super hard and, 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 and putting something out there is super hard. And so, you know, I know everybody who creates something, it's, it's, a, it's a really hard thing to do and to, to, to put that out there. So everybody who, who, who creates something and puts it on stage or puts it out there is a superhero in my eyes. Uh, do you know Today Ticks? Well, Today Ticks is an app and a website that offers easy and affordable access to a wide variety of must-see cultural performances from plays and musicals to dance, opera, comedy, immersive experiences, and beyond. So let's open up the Today Ticks app and see what's there this week. Uh, there are uh, rush tickets for Sukian Lee's Unsafe at Canadian Stage, as well as tickets to the Little Prince reimagined, the Little Prince reimagined at Streetcar Crow's Nest, Bears at Factory Theater. Oh, and tickets to the new to New Magic Family Fun Town, the new Daniel McIver show. And if you know me at all, you know I'm a big fan of Daniel McIver. Today Ticks makes ticket buying simple, and you can purchase tickets in less than 30 seconds. Get it on iOS and Android, or go to todayticks.com. 
If you want to drop me a line, remember you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guests this week are the cast of Scarred Leather, Adriana Prosser, Carolyn Concordia, Jason Martorino, and me. Uh, Scarred Leather is part of the Whiskey Ginger Collective's New Works Festival running from March 19th to the 24th at the Red Sandcastle Theatre in Toronto. Why don't we go around and, and uh, we'll start on my left and you say your name and uh, we'll, just so that everybody can hear all the voices. Hello, everyone. My name is Caroline Concordia. Hi, I'm Adriana Prosser. Hi, I'm Jason Martorino. I'm Phil. So, <laughs> we know that. And there might be some like doggy cries in the background, which are Bueller and McFly. They're also guests, but we're not going to be talking to them. They don't have much to say. <laughs> About theater. About theater specifically. Yeah, specifically. Um, so we're we're here because we're talking about scarred leather, yeah. which is uh, Adriana. It's your uh, Western, like, and, and and it's interesting because, um, and I've been com- thinking about this a lot for the last little while. Is we don't see a lot of genre on mm. stage. We don't see, we often don't see a lot of sci-fi, and we don't see a lot of westerns, and we don't see horror so much unless we're talking about eldritch theater which is also one of my labs um yeah. I'll, I'll give you a, a a not so secret secret it's because it's bloody expensive <laughs> because you have to mm-hmm. not only mm-hmm. put up a show but you also have to be period specific with mm-hmm. your costuming um and if you want like weapons and things like that also period and then as mm-hmm. well specifically with westerns you need permits and you need replicas and mm-hmm. you need uh, a gun wrangler if you're gonna go full out mm-hmm. so it gets expensive so that's why you don't see a lot of that i th- mm-hmm. i think and that um the freedom of film i mean you still need to do all of those things um, but for some reason, you see a little bit more in film. Uh, I don't know. Is it cheaper to to rent a farmer's field <laughs> and and a, and, a, and a couple reds um, than know. putting it on stage? But yeah, I think I think it's just whenever you take on a very specific mm. thing and you try to focus on that, it it becomes a little expensive. It's true. It's true. So, in other words, please give us money. Please, <laughs> please, please come see our show. <laughs> um, well, why don't we? Like, could you talk a little bit about? Uh where scarred leather comes from and and sure yeah uh scarred leather is um a haunted western uh dealing with uh grief and bereavement and it is my 10-year uh anniversary uh dealing with my brother's passing Mm -hmm. from suicide uh so i made a one-woman show called everything but the cat Mm -hmm. And it toured around, and it's it's uh, it's had some play, uh, along with some of my suicide prevention workshops, so my education workshops as well. And uh, that was the first year of my bereavement, and dealt with uh, the loss of my brother. And I always knew that I wanted to do something for the tenure, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to pull a Sandra Seamus, even though she's so cool and she really inspired me. Um, uh, Sandra Seamus and. Uh, 
uh, oh my goodness, Daniel McIver, mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. of their one one person formats. Um, her um, her her show. My boyfriend's. My boyfriend's back, and there's going to be laundry. Yeah, yeah, and then she did my boyfriend's back, and there's laundry, and the cycle continues, right. which is pun on laundry. I was kind of playing that maybe I would go that way as well, that like everything but the cat, and now it's like everything but my dogs mm-hmm. because now I have dogs, I don't have a cat. Um, but I just it felt really forced, and it felt really contrived and whatnot, and I didn't really want to do that. So like, don't force yourself to do things that you don't want to do, um, and so. I love westerns. My my very favorite story from uh, my youth is actually Back to the Future 3, um, which a lot of you might be like, that's not a western. It totally is. Uh, it's just not the quick and the dead, but also love that too. Um, it's well, also not the best of the trilogy, but we won't go there. Oh, I think, oh, I think, oh, 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 oh that's fighting words. We can open fighting that words. can of words, but that's when, that's that's, when the guns come that's out. When the we, guns go, come out. <laughs> we go for oh. high noon. Um, Oops. So, yeah. <laughs> you knew exactly what you were doing. <laughs> yes. That's how we met, actually. We argued about Back to the Future 3. Oh. Um, so, isn't that adorable? <laughs> and we still argue it seven years later. It was the first later. of many times in our relationship where I was right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, ladies and gentlemen? He paid for me to meet uh, Christopher <laughs> Lloyd, so it all is forgiven. Um, but my love of Westerns <laughs> and time travel and, like, I, you know, my history of working uh, in history at <laughs> museums and stuff... Like, I just, I really like the genre, um, the Western, the spaghetti, the spaghetti Western, and, like, just how ridiculous it can get. It, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of high drama. It's almost Shakespearean at times. And, you know, other storytellers have taken advantage of that um, with, like, Quentin, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Um, and, and you can really push it in, mm. in genre pieces. Mm. And so I thought the, the way that I wanted to attack my journey through uh through grief and acceptance and whatnot was very much like um this this cowgirl that is looking for vengeance she's looking for someone to blame she's looking for someone to point at her gun shoot it down and be like done it's done i don't need to do this anymore like like shoot down her grief shoot down her emotions um and that's where the story came from is that there's this cowgirl her name is red um, and, uh, she's, she's hunting down her brother's killer who mm-hmm. she believes is her hunter's kill, her brother's killer. Um, but it's, it's layered with, um, the, the Victorian time period and which is kind of like how stigma is restraining us mm-hmm. from talking about grief even today. Mm-hmm. So like there's, there's like societal, uh, pressures and understanding or misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. And then there's also people who want to take advantage of your grief um, or like completely misconstrue it into something that can be negative, which mm-hmm. is um, uh, Caroline's character, Eliza, where it's just like, no, you can go, you really can take your, you can take your life lessons, you know, and, and you can do so many things with it. You can blossom and you can grow and you can take those life lessons and be a better person or you can become like this really stuck in your your hate, your grief, your depression. Like you can really burrow into that mm. and, be, and it can be very dark and it can be very isolating and you can become very negative and, and a terrible person. Yeah. Well, it can eat at you. Mm-hmm. And that is what some people do. Um, and so I fluctuated between these two and I would like to say, knock on wood, that I would hope to think that I'm a better person for it. Um, learning my life lessons through grief and meeting wonderful people, mental health advocates, mm. 
mm-hmm. uh, building my podcast with stories like crazy and meeting uh, people like Lori, um, people challenging me to do to do better, uh, like my partner Jason here, um, and and really try to get back to the community through suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. That I didn't want it to be so autobiographical and so yeah. on the nose. That here we are with a western to make it a little bit more palatable, maybe, and a little bit more fun. Dare I say, dealing with such harsh truths as death and suicide, and and it becomes a conduit to to attack something that we don't necessarily want to meet face on. In a way, doesn't doesn't genre let us um, deal with things that are uncomfortable, but in a more safe way? I guess so. Yeah. Especially, it's, I I would say because I'm really <clears throat> focused on the western. Um, mm. I guess I guess. Oh. Thank you, Bueller. Um, I guess sci-fi and like Star Trek and things like that mm-hmm. do that too because it seems so otherworldly because mm-hmm. we're not in spaceships and we're not on the back of horses anymore. So there is a distance and a comfort level of like mm-hmm. this is not real life that we can, you know, allow for like puppets, you know, like yeah. it, it, it allows a little bit of distance and, and it doesn't hit us as quickly as like say watching the TV show This Is Us, which mm-hmm. just formulaically makes us cry every time yeah it's that's what its job is to do right <clears throat> but i mean you've got you've got shows like um westworld which yeah. is combines science fiction and the western oh, and firefly loves. which was a western also true science fiction so you know the, it, it allows us to say more about the world yeah it really it really allows us to explore uh tropes and, mm-hmm. and archetypes that we're used to in a completely different way and that perhaps, again, I mean, I keep coming back to maybe it's a little bit more palatable because it seems so out there and it's more entertaining than being so in the nose and in your face. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, what's... Uh, words. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, uh, I, please I, speak those some words. <laughs> <laughs> I find it really interesting, like playing with genre because of the fact that we know these archetypes so well and we've, you know, we've grown up with them. And, and, and when you take an archetype and, and throw in something like the themes that are present in this, in this play that you don't generally see explored, especially in a Western, um, there's this sort of chain reaction. There's this effect of, okay, we're, we're introducing a, a new situation, but we're introducing this idea of bereavement and so that affects the lead character. But what does that mean in terms of the rest of these archetypes that we're used to seeing yeah. in certain roles? Um, and I, I don't want to be too spoilery. But it, it reminds me of, you know, there's this sort of ongoing dialogue about um, uh, superhero movies that are, that are really big in, in mainstream uh, culture right now. And whenever there's a new superhero movie, there's always the backlash of, oh God, another superhero movie. Yeah. Oh, why do they have to bring oh. that superhero back? And it's like... Uh, for the most part, my response to that is I, I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that, that Captain America has evolved from, you know, American propaganda to the person who is the voice, uh, you know, criticizing mm-hmm. the government in the new, in the new Marvel yeah. films. And then, you know, and again, you have that train chain reaction through all of the different characters and they're all kind of reimagined by, by the introduction of new circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I think this is playing with the Western archetype in a, sim- in a similar sort of way. Cool. Yeah. Because you will definitely find a man in black trope in our in, in, in my play, Scarred Leather. And and I you know, I look back to Bulldog Tannen and I look back to um, 
well, Westworld, you know, the Ed Harris character as you well. Know, you know, you go back further than that. You go back to the original um, uh, uh, Westworld. Yes, and, uh, yes. The 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 frightening thing about the gunslinger, the man in black gunslinger slinger in that in that film was the fact that he didn't say anything. Yeah, he just kill kill kill. Yeah, you know, Yul Brynner in that movie just walked, and it was terrifying. We have some dogs desperate for attention. <laughs> they have some feels and thoughts on. They have also thoughts about. In the original draft, mm-hmm. I actually cast my dog. Oh. Um, and then I realized he wouldn't, he's, he's not, he's going to be like, where's my trailer? Where's yeah. my dog bones? <laughs> so you're saying he's a diva? He was, he was going to be too much of a diva, but I wanted him to find, um, the original, the, the concept was that there was a dead body mm-hmm. on stage when, when the audience came in and it's like this crumpled, disheveled body mm-hmm. of a corpse and that, um, a dog comes in, snuffs around and then, um, your character, mm-hmm. Comes in smoking and then just like sees the body and like calling the dog and being like, nah, shit. And like, like flicks off the cigarette and then like fireman carries the, the dead uh, body off. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's like, what is, what is, what is happening? And that would be like the hook. Sure. Except that your dog probably Except, would not have done any of the things that you wanted. No. You have to carry and you'd have, pounds. I'd have to carry yeah. some person like on that. my back and a dog chasing and around a dog. No, 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 no. What about the bit with the dog, Will? What like about that's... the bit with the dog? Yeah. So then I can that yeah. really quickly. My dramaturg, uh, who is not here, uh, Eric Wolf, uh, was like, "What? What's with the bit with the dog?" Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get it out. It's gotta go. Gotta go. I really like how you play with identity mm. without giving any spoilers away. But that is kind of my favorite. One of my favorite elements about this piece is. Your character, you're going to have to come see it to find out. But um, how, I don't want to use any spoiler words, but just kind of how you define yourself. Like in, read the character? Yes. Yeah. I really love that. And I'm excited to see people's kind of reactions to to that. It's like, interesting. I was looking at, at the new draft. And now that ooh. there's there's um, some ele- some more elements. And now everybody has a vision of themselves. That's more clear. No, just like everybody has a vision of themselves, and then there's the way that other people see them, or the act- actual truth, right? Mm. And so everybody, everybody in it has the way they want to be seen and mm-hmm. the way that they are seen. Welcome to grief. <laughs> well, yes, I know. And like the yeah. masks that we wear to be like, yeah. I am in this situation, so I will put on this mask. No, so I'm, I'm really fine. glad that yeah. that's that's yeah that's coming across. And I really, I also think that it's interesting that. Um, the people who have been reading um, the characters, I I am very happy to say that it passes the Bechtel test. Mm-hmm. Um, it the, it is uh, women centric, women heavy dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, women talk more than men, and we also talk about not painting our fingernails and about winning back the hero. We are the hero, the two mm-hmm. the two women in the story, um, and that um, I really think it's interesting mm-hmm. that. Um, whoever's reading it, I've had a, I've had a couple people put their eyes over it, that they're always like, are they, are they a thing? Are they, are they lady lovers? You know, they do flirt a little. And, and I'm like, and it's just like, I'm not saying yes or no, because at the end of the day, um, people use sex as a, as a weapon, as a tactic. Mm And I think it's completely reasonable that you would use that at any time that that benefits you, mm-hmm. whether it's a man, woman, they, them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They, ladies and gentle thems. So I say, if that's what you see, you you go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. 
Why don't we uh, take? You know, Adriana, you've been on a few times, a couple of times. We've talked. I'm, I'm a little, yeah, I'm a little spoiled. Right? You're, you're, <laughs> we've, 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 we've talked at length about about theater and, and publicity and things like that. Uh, Jason and and, and Caroline, not. So I want to talk uh, to you guys about uh, your theater origin stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, whoever wants to go first, like, what was your first exposure to theater, the arts that? made you want to do it? I'll go first. Well, um, I was very fortunate to be brought up seeing a lot of theater. Mm -hmm. As I was telling you earlier, I went through my huge, massive 10-pound box of play programs that I've been hoarding and keeping since... Since I started seeing, my parents started taking me to theater, so that was kind of our thing. We didn't really go on big vacations, but I'm from Hamilton, so we would come to the big city, come to Toronto mm-hmm. to see something. We'd go to Niagara-on-the-Lake to see some things. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was seven, seven or eight, my parents put me into the Theater Aquarius summer program. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a big thing in Hamilton, so pretty much did that my whole childhood, a month every summer classes, meeting people, and I kind of felt like the bug, like the kids that were there that had agents I was like oh my gosh I would I want to do that like I want to be on TV I want to do these things mm-hmm. but my parents made it very clear there will be no business we want you to have a childhood like don't even mm-hmm. think about getting an agent until mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. later so I already knew that and I wasn't going to fight them I was not a rebellious child so I just stuck to my summer theater mm-hmm. um, I remember in grade 3 being in a play in school it's a jungle out there it was like a musical and just like having a great time mm-hmm. and loving it uh, and then when I was going into high school, the theater summer program, you got to participate in a full scale musical. So mm-hmm. everyone, the crew, everyone is professional except for the actors, the kids. Mm-hmm. Wow. So my first play was Fame. I was just a background person. So I kind of grew up thinking I was going to do musical theater. I love singing and dancing. I was taking dancing classes, some singing classes. And then when it came to apply for schools and apply to Sheridan and this and that, I was like, oh, I actually don't know these things i don't know how to read and write music Mm -hmm. people make their lives singing and dancing where for me it was kind of more of a hobby like i liked it Mm -hmm. and then i realized oh my career is not going to be musical theater my heart (laughs) broke a little bit Mm -hmm. but i quickly realized that i can still do theater and i can still do film tv commercial um so i don't remember the pinpoint moment where i was like this is gonna be it but i kind of always had it inside me Mm -hmm. and Always appreciated going to the theater, always felt very comfortable in the audience, felt comfortable on stage. I love just like being a part of something that's bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. Like the community aspect was huge for me growing up. All my my summers spent with people that I never would have met outside of my regular fe- friend group. So it was all different cultures and people and experiences and um, that really shaped me kind of growing up and being able to kind of at a very young age deal with all sorts of different kinds of people didn't even think anything of it like had a gay best friend when i was seven didn't know really at the time but just like kind of that exposure to just to everybody and anything and um yeah and we kind of talked about this before we started rolling but i kind of lost a little bit of love for theater at a point with kind of seeing maybe too much theater and supporting too many friends and kind of was like you know what not every shakespeare production is is going to be worthwhile to sit through or (laughs) Every play is kind of um, worth your time and energy and money. And it's great to be supportive, but then you kind of, you don't want to feel burnt out from it. There's an inter- there's a, an unfortunate thing that often happens in indie theater. Mm-hmm. And you have, especially among people who are 
um, high producers of theater, whether they're acting a lot of yeah. stuff or things like that, you end up selling to the same people right. all the time. It's like you're fundraising or whatever, like you're asking the same people for money all the time. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, it becomes too much. <laughs> yeah, and like I did really love the classical or the classics like Annie yeah. and Chorus Line. And like I saw all those growing up too. And then getting into university and kind of getting the black box experience Mm -hmm. and like first being exposed to like the alternative theater and like the really gritty stuff and the sex and like just how you could bring all these elements Mm -hmm. together and really create an experience. And that's something Mm -hmm. that I crave the most when I go to theater now is Mm -hmm. like something outside of the box and something that's going to be, you don't know what you're going to get or what Mm -hmm. to expect. When you you mentioned like the people who had the bug and things like that, for you, did that happen when you were in the theater Aquarius courses, or did that happen? Had you caught the bug before you went to those? No, I, I probably didn't even know how that would work. But once mm-hmm. I kind of heard like, oh, you can get an agent, and I kind of understood what that meant, and like getting opportunities, mm-hmm. and like, and then in my real life, actually getting to the age where okay, I'm done school, I'm mm-hmm. gonna pursue this professionally. Then it was the eight, trying to find an agent for yeah. years and years, and that time was forever and then that and then it's like okay then it's just you just want the auditions and then it's you just want to book things so it's like this constant yeah. like climb business of, business business yeah did you yeah. did you find that that um like what was my question here um do you remember the first theater, the first show that you saw i don't know for sure i i want to say maybe it was annie okay Probably something super like family yeah, 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 friendly yeah. when I was sure. just a little a little pup, sure. you know. But um, but yeah, I I realized actually in the last couple of years of not focusing on theater that like getting back to theater is actually something that makes you feel most like an actor mm. and being able to spend time with a character mm. and that's something that I I, I mm. think I used to take for granted. Mm. Um, and stepping away from theater for a while, and now it's definitely something I crave to do more as well. Nice. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. Um, your acting bug slash theater origin story, where did, where did it come from for you? Um, junior high school. Um, I had never really done much in the way of theater, and um, we had a, a drama teacher. We had to take drama in grade 7, 8, and 9, or at least at least in grade seven, eight. And uh, the drama teacher there, his name was Mr. Cal, and he was really cool. And he was also an excellent volleyball coach, and he coached us on the volleyball mm-hmm. team, too. Um, just an interesting tidbit. I love volleyball. <laughs> a double um, threat. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and so he, he'd had, had us doing scenes from, uh, you know, from one-act plays and, and that sort of thing and, and getting us to write monologues, and I really enjoyed it. And I remember this one time... Um, I think it was in 1993, if I'm not mistaken. And we had a field trip through that class to go and see uh, Romeo and Juliet at the Stratford Festival. Mm-hmm. And that was the one with Anthony Cimolino as Romeo, um, Megan Follows as uh, Juliet. And uh, and I remember Mr. Cal was telling us, getting us ready for the trip, and he was telling us about how Mercutio was played by this really uh, this actor that was really had really become well known in Stratford, whose name was Colin Fiore. <laughs> and at the, at the time, yeah, okay, fine, sure, some actor, whatever. And I remember us going there, and uh, and you know it was it was it was great. It was, I really enjoyed the show, but then. Confier comes on and, and he launches into the Queen Mab speech mm-hmm. and it's like oh oh <laughs> this is what this is what the big deal is about yes and it was just so 
just so consummately beautiful what he was doing, mm. um, the, the physicality and, and, and the attention to words and, and all that sort of thing. And, and, and as I, you know, did more and more theater and uh, through, through that and, and a little bit, uh, you know, doing the odd audition for uh, uh, some stage kids company and stuff like that when I was younger, which I was never very successful in. Um, but, but I stuck to the drama, drama lessons and I found, I remember I was doing one of Romeo's monologues, I think it was in, in, um, maybe grade grade 10 drama class and it was and there, I'd, I'd grown to love the the attention to words in Shakespeare mm-hmm. so much and, and the imagery and and I think it was through that that I discovered that there was more to being a, a straight male than you know having a 95 90 mile per hour fastball sort of thing you know <laughs> like and being able to throw a good hip check mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and and since then it's been kind of a it, there's been kind of there, there was always kind of this duality that mm. that you know I, I really wanted to, I, I loved sports and all that sort of thing and I, I wasn't all that good at it but I but I was I, I guess relatively at some point insightful to the point that that my teachers had some some confidence in me as an actor um, and then so you know from there I went to uh, I applied to York Theater School, York University Theater School and did a did, that summer I did mm. a um, a production of um, Taming of the Shrew mm-hmm. that was that was supposed to tour but didn't. <laughs> I think um, we've all had yeah. those. Yeah, that was my first exposure to the fact that quite often these you know shows like that don't uh, do, productions don't go exactly as you as yeah. you think they're going to. But it, it was still a great production, mm-hmm. and I worked with some really fun people on that. And, and uh, you know, from then I, I was also at the same time bitten with the opera bugs, so I ended up going from theater school to opera school, and uh, and then got out and got an agent and uh, found that film and television seemed to like me better than anything else, and it was something that I felt I had mm. the most to contribute to so mm-hmm. that's where I've kind of ended up cool. cool yeah um how long has it been since you did any did a, a, a stage show and I'll ask you too because you do yeah you, you for me it's been five years five years yeah yeah I think the last stage show I did was a sung stage show it was for uh, Toronto Aquaretta Theater mm-hmm. yeah okay, for, for Bill Silva this will be really cool this will be really fun. I'm really yeah. looking forward yeah. to it well yeah. it's great to stretch back out right yeah. because yeah. I mean film and television it's, it's a different well it doesn't have to be a different approach but but it, it, for me it, 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 it's tended to be simply because I went from theater school to opera school, and then I was talking like this all the time. <laughs> and you don't get film and TV jobs if you're no. talking out all the time. So I had to I had to learn to bring it back. So it's mm. just it's a different sort of balance of skills. Yeah. And and it's it's interesting to and it will become more and more interesting to have to get in, further in touch with those and to be put on the spot and, and to yeah. produce. Mm. Yeah. So I've always thought of of, of theater and the, the film television thing as a different. Uh, I, it, it, it as a different approach as well, just because you can always tell the people who are mostly theater people when they put them on TV. You know, <laughs> I go hmm. a little big there, yeah, <laughs> a little over the top. You know? But complementary skills, yeah. Because well, I absolutely. find my whole theater background <laughs> prepared me for commercial auditions and being mm. able to improv and just yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. the show must go on. That mentality, yeah. I feel like theater trained people definitely have a very strong work ethic absolutely just the amount of hours you put in more stamina yeah i do do also feel like the downside i think the reason why that happens a lot is because you don't really get to rehearse for tv and film and the one time i did the uh, a a film and um it's probably the only time it's ever turned out really good is we did a lot of rehearsal Mm -hmm. and so we all started out really big you get that 
out so you're exploring it and then you got to rein it in mm. um and we all did that together because we were all theater people and not film people and i think that a lot of times when we when we experience that sort of thing it's because we're just sort of dropped in to not and we don't get to rehearse with other people and it's like all right doing your thing in five minutes i hope you're ready you know? yeah. well it's also like a matter of the style of the production mm-hmm. too and mm-hmm. the, the feel that you're creating mm-hmm. i mean i mean i've seen movies where there was what i would consider theatrical acting but it made perfect sense because everybody mm-hmm. knew what movie they were in yes mm-hmm. yes yeah but you know i don't i don't I, I don't think that a person should have to hold back. Uh, I just think, uh, you know, maybe it, it comes down to the the, the the writer and the director and, mm. and them communicating their vision accurately enough or, sure. and or hiring the, the right people who just walk mm. into the audition room and know you know, yeah. or, or are on the same page with them yeah. uh, in terms of the style of production. Mm. I mean, that's certainly a super important. I, I remember walking into a film audition once. It was really shitty film but I had misjudged from the script what they were going for because to me the script was very clearly a tongue-in-cheek um sort of like cheesy um in the style of like a a big trouble in little china sort of thing Mm -hmm. fun romp and they were very serious about it (laughs) when I voiced my opinion about how awesome I thought it was that they were doing this like as sort of like a tongue in cheek romp with the f- they were like no no like, is, I'm not getting cast in this. No, yeah, no no so the unicorns are real yeah. unicorns <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 um yeah so in terms of 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 of, of this particular show this is going to be sort of interesting because we're 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 sort of exploring because it's early days and um, it's brand spanking new. Draft seven, baby. <laughs> draft seven. Who knows how many drafts we'll end Please up with? Not many more. Could be more. <laughs> um, how much? Because we want to do it as a staged reading, but mm-hmm. how much it's staged will be sort of dependent on a number of factors. How many drafts we have to get through? <laughs> Um, when I did Everything But The Cat, I worked on it for over a year, mm. and I incubated it with um, with puppeteers, with um, bricketeer puppetry, mm-hmm. and uh, with James and, and Gray, and it was something that never really had a due date. Mm. And so I, I really wanted to talk about the Whiskey Ginger Collective oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. sparked this fire, so Chloe Whitehorn... Uh, was just like we're in, we're in a theater troupe or we're in a theater collective, and I went, we are. And uh, did she talk to other people before she told you that I you were in it, or no do you think that she idea. just like, told everybody else that they were just in this? It was it was almost like playing Red Rover, and she <laughs> called Adri over, and <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, man, yeah, I want to be with these individuals. Like mm-hmm. these sound cool. So we're a group of Celtic Canadians, um, Celtic identified Canadians, so um, Scottish, Irish, Welsh. And we are specifically creating theater through that lens and like unabashedly, like completely talking about that sort of thing. So I thought that it was really important to have a redheaded protagonist mm-hmm. um, played with the idea of her having, you know, uh, an Irish accent because a lot of the new settlers here in Canada were Irish from the Irish famine um, and that playing that it is in Upper Canada and whatnot um, and that. Uh, that the Whiskey Ginger Collective is about incubating Mm. these types of stories, not necessarily specific about um, the Celtic experience, Mm. but that they're coming from this 
interesting niche, this, this group of, we're all gingers, uh, and, and, uh, Rosemary, uh, owns the Red Sandcastle Theater and she's, uh, she's also out in Kingston and she's also a creator. She does the 24 hour play. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Thousand Monkeys 24 hour playwriting yeah. uh, festival. And that's a great event to get people percolating and like creating and stuff like that because deadlines can really push you in a great way. Yes, they can. They so, can also be super terrifying. I'm going with column A and B um, <laughs> because I've never worked. That's not true. I have worked to a deadline. I've done um, the sonnet show with uh, Humber River Shakespeare Company um, that they used to do it at Montgomery's Inn and that we would be like given a room and given a, uh, um, like a two lines from a sonnet kind of thing. And you'd be like, go make a show. And it needs to be less than like 15 minutes. Mm. Uh, and that was a really cool thing. So things like that and that whiskey ginger collective, we were like, okay, what do we what do we want to do and it's like well we want we want to make new stuff we want to make stuff that's that is appealing to us like mm. that makes us passionate right and so this new works festival really is just a smattering of what we're excited to be creating right now and this is what i'm excited about is that i could have i could have gone with something that i already had half written <laughs> or or something that you mm. know maybe re re Remount everything but the cat. I don't know. You decided to go. No, to I said no, sir. No, no, something sir. New. Something, something new, amazing. Something that I was like really passionate about, mm-hmm. and I kept on shelving and like procrastinating because it is hard to go there in this subject matter, mm-hmm. and it's but it's important to me, and I think it's important to continue that conversation, however we may have it, whether it's with cowboy hats or you know in the classroom. Um, so yeah, so this is a challenge. It's mm-hmm. a challenge. Um, You're meeting it though, and I one day want to see the film version of this too. I kind of do too because spoiler alert, it's a haunted western, and there be ghosts. Yeah. What? (laughs) So I hope the ghosts make the cut past draft seven. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, because we've I've also asked. um, I mean, you've also. I mean, to be specific, you've Scorpitz. Yeah, you've you've cut. A lot of my characters. Babies. Yeah, I've cut them. I've killed them. You've killed babies all figuratively over the place, and literally. Yeah. And um, I'm in talks with Rapier Wit mm-hmm. right now, uh, stage and film, to get guns into this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, legitimately, don't worry, RCMP. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and just like how how can we complement the story with like how much do we push the western mm-hmm. and then how much do we push the story and the characters and mm. I'm and I'm really thankful to have all of you guys at the table because Phil we haven't talked about the fact that you're playing one of these characters yeah. and he has gone from like. I'm I'm the no name bartender just squeaking, he squeaking was, glasses. He, he was he was he was originally the just the guy who stood there sort of like drawing a glass. Right, like just like set piece <laughs> and like quintessential yeah. bar, like the tavern, the yeah. saloon is just so quintessential to the Western experience. I'm like, well I gotta have a bartender. Mm-hmm. Um and then Eric again was just like amp it up. If he's there, you gotta give him a reason. And mm-hmm. now you gotta give him a backstory. Ooh, yeah. give him a secret. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, oh my god. <laughs> so your character has really come a long mm-hmm. way and I'm really excited for that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, there's, there's things that I want to talk about, but they're kind of spoilery, so I'm not gonna. I mean, um, how, ooh, how, how spoilery? I mean, the thing is that I think it's best to leave, uh, the things I, that can be spoiled I do to like, not be spoiled, I you know? do want to, I, I want 
to surprise people. Yeah. I want I want them to have an experience. Like mm-hmm. I know that we've talked in the past about theater as an experience and mm-hmm. theater as spectacle. Sure. And that you can't get spectacle through a movie screen. In it, like not that in the you, same way. In not, the, not in the same way. You can. You can, but I think that we don't react to it in the same way. Then a human breathing person. Yeah. That if if you were to stand up and be like, "Hey, you're going to interrupt the show. You're going to you're yeah. a part of that." And like to be in the room, and to know that these people have like gone through this anyway. Like that magic is yeah. is lightning in a bottle kind of stuff that theater can do. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to do, but you can. Yeah. And and I hope that we have little lightning moments in this mm. show, even if it's um, just a stage reading this time yeah. around. Mm-hmm. Um, Bueller agrees. Yes, of course. I mean, the the puppies are opinions also count. Um, puppies are people too. Puppies are people too. Um, <laughs> interesting question. Um, do you guys remember what the first western you saw was? Ooh. Oh boy! I mean, Back to the Future. I mean. For me, is that really the first western? Yeah, yeah. and then I think the next one that I remember is The Quick and the Dead with Sharon Stone okay. and Baby DiCaprio because mm. that was like 1995. Because mm. I don't mm. think my mom, I think my mom let me watch Back to the Future because Back to the Future, right? And then I, and then it was like you can't watch any of these Clinton Eastwood movies. Like, <laughs> my daughter Sorry. likes westerns. What do you? Yeah, no, yeah. it's so many dead people. Yeah. And guns and violence yeah. and no. So I think by the time like 1995 rolls around, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm like, you know, a tween. And I'm yeah. like, I'm going to watch it anyway. Mm-hmm. And Sharon Stone. But yeah, how about you guys? I just have flashes in my memory of, of like scruffy men gritting their teeth and shooting at each other from various <laughs> spaghetti westerns. Throughout, like yeah. throughout the, the first like 15 years of my life. But yeah, I think... Maybe the first time I actually sat down and watched one, it might have been Back to the Future Three. But the first, the first like legitimate western that I ever sat down and enjoyed was Unforgiven, and then mm. it was after that mm. that I was like, that, that there, you know, I started watching other ones. But Unforgiven was mm. pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I know some people don't like it, but you looking at me? No, you're probably Turk. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he hates. He hates Unforgiven. Eric doesn't like Eric it. Doesn't like yes. it. I mean, I, I get, I get that that yeah, the end kind of negates a lot of them. Yeah, I, I don't remember, but probably Back to the Future Three because I remember right? watching those a lot. Bill and Ted—they didn't have any western elements. And they they did have the, Billy the Kid. They did have Billy okay, the Kid. Yeah, I remember that. I don't think that counts. But really. uh, that, that's only a tenth. Of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and Phil, um, I don't know if you count Little House on the Prairie as Aww. a western. Interesting. Interesting. Well, then, yeah, me too. And because like, is Anne of Green Gables a Western because it's the eighteen hundreds? There it's... would be an Eastern. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Maritimes. Yeah, um, but I think if, if Little House on the Prairie is a Western, then that was well, the first Western. And there may have been some random things on TV on Saturdays that I saw. Yeah. But you know, I was a child in the seventies, so there was we were closer to the Bonanza years than than, uh, than anything else. Oh. So. I'm gonna have to have to get on that little house bandwagon too. Yeah. I grew up on that show. Yeah, every night at six p.m. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was my upbringing. Yeah. I knew awesome. I liked you. <laughs> I think I think anybody who grew up at that time that was like yeah. that was that was the must see TV of those days. It was really yeah. good. It was yeah. really good. But the '90s had a big insurgence of of westerns. When you go back, right, like like Tombstone and The Quick and the Dead, and in terms of movies, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but westerns didn't didn't 
we didn't see them on TV, I think, anymore. They, they mm. sort of had gone to the movies. That's true, that's true. And they were absent from TV, whereas there was a time when TV was Western. Like Howdy Doody Time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh, and the, the, Lone, the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. <clears throat> yeah. Classic. But it's been a good excuse to look yeah. up all these movies and yeah. watch The Quick and the Dead. That was mm-hmm. amazing. I had no Love idea. Her. I, I have a special spot for Tombstone. I love snippy, witty Val Kilmer. Oh, yeah. I love him. Not so much Maverick, but Jodie mm-hmm. Jody, Jody Foster is pretty great in it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, all of these things. Like, they, uh, I really just like the... I, I, am, I think people are going to be like, she's so basic bitch about her westerns. <laughs> but I do. I've seen all of my Clint Eastwood essentials mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I don't know, I guess maybe because, yeah, I did see them while I was growing up. So like, there's that nostalgia yeah. for me. Well, Quick and the Dead was fun because it kind of, it took, it took all of those archetypes and it, it does play with them. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's a pretty broad, uh, sort of, they play with it, uh, the <laughs> archetypes uh, or, or the whole Western idea in pretty broad terms. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's, well, I mean, in, in, uh, in light of the the sort of political climate of our current times, it's it's a little bit uncomfortable to watch at times. Mm. But uh, but it still is, you know. Uh, assuming you're not taking it too seriously, it's still a lot of fun. Well, I think that's that's the thing is 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 if you take the western too seriously, then you suck all of the fun out of it, and there's got to be mm. some fun. I mean, it is in in a lot of ways pretty Shakespearean. You get oh, to, you know, you still have a duel, right? Yep. I mean, maybe not sword fighting, but it's still a duel. Totally. You know, so it's always fun. Absolutely. And the stakes are always so high. It's, it's so <clears throat> amped. Oh, like, it's so soap opera. It's got to yeah. you know yeah. what? That's why it's got to be. And it's got to be life or death because otherwise, you know, yeah. why give a shit? And I think that's why scarred leather really works mm-hmm. in the Western because it is really high stakes and yeah. it is really like life or death situations mm-hmm. um, that really propel all these characters. Um, the thing that made me think that I could do a haunted Western was, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember years and years and years ago at, um, I believe it was Soul Pepper, The Mill, and it was a three-part trilogy. Oh, geez. I do I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. It was like... It was cool. I didn't, I didn't actually see it. I saw two of the three parts, and, and it was, um, one of them was set in like the 1800s and whatnot and that it was this haunting and they actually had a woman in a rig where she was like the ring like she went backwards up the wall like she was possessed and stuff Aww. yeah it was Maybe so cool outdoors at the in the distillery i don't know if it was in outdoors the... but it was it's in the distillery yeah, that, that's yeah. where it was yeah. um and that and it was about this haunted place this haunted barn and it was like in three different types of or sorry three different timelines right like that it was like past present and future or something and like the past one was you know everybody's in bonnets Mm. and it's like again like that western feel and stuff like that and rifles Mm. and everything like that and i was just yes you don't see like we were saying before we don't see this very often on stage Mm. and it was really cool to see not only hauntings and horror which we again very rarely Mm. see but again a period piece so this is this is my thank you to the mill and their creators, because uh, I was like, yes, I pocket that for later. I, this is cool. Is there a, a, a genre that you think we don't see often on stage, but that you would love to see on stage? Other than more westerns? Other than more westerns? I'm a horror nerd, so I'm, I, and I, you know, I, it, I, 
I would like to be able to say that I've seen more theater than I actually have. But, uh, but, and, and I know that there are some horror plays out there, but for the most part, I, I've never been to see, a, oh, well, aside from Eldritch, Eldritch Theater, who did, and, and uh, Eric is an extremely talented um, creator in terms of the macabre, in, mm-hmm. in terms of theater. Um, but outside of that, I don't think that I've really seen anything that that re- was really scary and scary in in the way that you know playing with the haunted house and ghost ghost archetypes and that sort of thing that that we generally associate with mainstream horror. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, yeah, because theater used to be where we went for horror. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you talk about, um, you know, in in when Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula was first performed. Uh, on stage and people were terrified by it and dickens just walking around being like listen to my latest ghost story yeah oh yeah right yeah. that was his deal yeah when was, was when was the when was dracula produced as a play i don't know oh, Bram stoker remember. alternately produced it as a, oh, as, a, as, a as a as a as a book and a play like, oh, that's he so wrote cool. a play version as well oh man and 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 jekyll and hyde was also performed mm. on stage uh the mysterious transformation and all that stuff. So there's like horror was the theater was where we went for horror. Yeah. And now hmm. we don't anymore. I think, I think because we limit ourselves in what we think horror is because film has taken over the horror genre. It's much easier hmm. to make a ghost in film land than sure. it is in theater land. That's for sure. Hmm. Also what I'm finding right now. Yeah. <laughs> making the show. Yeah. <laughs> that said, there was a production of, um, Titus Andronicus at mm. Shakespeare's Globe a few years ago, oh. where when Lavinia, mm-hmm. after the hands in the mouth thing, yeah, yeah, when she came out on stage, people were fainting because they went <sighs> with realistic makeup and shit. So that is yeah. definitely the definition of horrific. Yeah, yeah, but it's still something that we rarely see. Yeah. How about you? What would you like to see on stage? I think it exists. I just haven't seen it in a while, but more like multimedia. Like I want Oh, I love that stuff. More yeah. More yeah. art and theater, more experience. I've seen a number of like like for myself I've seen multimedia like video used a lot. Mm-hmm. Um I've also not seen it used not particularly well because yeah. I, I feel like a lot of times when we're using video we're doing something that would be more effective presented on stage. Like I've seen a number of times when um, video is used to present a monologue right. and that should just be put on stage. Like don't put that on video cause I don't connect with the video in the same way right. as I do hmm. on stage. But like, if you can um, really connect with, with video, like the way that we can do video mapping now, like have people interact with, video elements or even just for like location <clears throat> or background yeah. or things to kind of make make the experience a little more mm. visceral yeah yeah i'm really interested in where vr and ar will now take us yeah. so there's rumblings that um that this show might not stay this way with an ensemble cast but that could be turned into um a one woman a not so one woman which is again something that i actually taglined everything but the cat mm-hmm. that everything but the cat i interact with voiceovers and projections of the so-called other actors mm-hmm. and that's why i call it a not so one woman and that i wanted to take it farther this time but um i i i don't know how to my brain can't get there but the idea is is that all of your characters mm-hmm. are haunts 
Like mm-hmm. that you are haunting red mm-hmm. and that the audience needs to, I don't know, have glasses or use their phone to find the the ghosts in the room and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it just sounds really cool. But at the end of the day, it's like you're saying, like, will that take away from mm-hmm. the connection? Will that is that just cool for the sake of being cool? Yeah. Like, how can it complement what's happening rather than just be a cool gimmick? Yeah. And I think that's that's the trick is like when you're going to throw in that kind of multimedia stuff, it, it has to belong and it can't just be tacked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always think of like something that was tacked on like when, when a number of theaters were experimenting with tweet seats. Oh, what's that? They were like, they would put a section and it was like, this is, these are the people who can use their phones and tweet the show. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was always, it was like, well, why? Like. They were like so live tweeting people the live show? tweet a show? That yeah. I could then watch, or... like hashtag what's with Ophelia. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. It was like it was very much like, and it didn't last long at all. Because no. I think that a number of theaters were like, "Yeah, this will connect us with the uh, people who are using the internet and stuff," and it just ended up being like uh, distraction. It was very much a distraction. Because you know what? You know what's really distracting? A bunch of like bright phones over in the corner. You <laughs> end up looking at those. Yeah, yeah, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But don't you think that there's something? I mean, I get, I get that. It's much more valuable if you have a reason to sure. do anything, yeah. to have a character or to, to stage in a certain way or something like that. But there is just something to the sensual experience that that, that could add. Oh, I don't sure. Know. I mean, I guess, it, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, it comes down to the question of why you're doing it and, and how you implement it. But, well, that's the thing. Yeah. Is it becomes a matter of... And also, like, I remember went to see a show, I think, with you mm-hmm. uh, uh, last year where... One of the things they were doing was they were supposed to have like these um, bone conducting uh, uh, head headsets. Yeah, where it would connect them with some of the with some of the audio, but they couldn't get it to work. But that was one of the things that they had talked up about the show was like, oh, people are gonna get these bone conducting yeah. things. I was like, that's gonna be really cool. And then they were like, well, that didn't actually end up working. So we're not gonna do yeah, it. Yeah, if you're gonna add tech, it has to. Like, you have to work. make sure that yeah, you can't <laughs> you can't like talk it up beforehand. But it, it's it's the kind of thing like that kind of AR sort of thing could be good yeah. as long as it's not distracting yeah you know so it's hard takes to know you out. what the what the way to do hmm. it is yeah because like i always go back to one of my very favoritist um theater experiences is was sleep no more mm-hmm. and and the element mm-hmm. of exploration and, mm-hmm. and that i didn't need to follow something linearly i wasn't sitting in a dark place watching yeah. actors on stage that i was participatory and it's just like i don't have money to buy two warehouses and furnish that and get a cast of 28 yeah like you know like like that is pie and sky and that is like some very that is very much lightning in a bottle that they got to create that and it's like how can can i make stories in such a way that for me and the type of uh, reach that i Mm -hmm. have saying like like indie Mm -hmm. um off off toronto (laughs) (laughs) kind of creation or fringe or something that's travel worthy and tourists and tours mm, that i tour it thank you Mm -hmm. words um and that that that's why i go to this like ar thing app thing or like something that's handheld and that it's in the agency of the audience i'm interested in the agency of the audience to choose how they explore my narrative yeah that is exciting that is cool how do you do it well that's the that's the question is how do you do that and then i the fact that somebody's got their phone out and is doing this while the show's going on doesn't become... Um, right. And I'm moving my hand around behind me 
because this is an audio medium, um, uh, like moving around like that. Yeah. That's not distracting for the rest of the audience. Because like that's how my brain goes. Is like it's like the Pokemon thing where you're yeah. like you're looking for the trigger. You're looking yeah. for the thing that gives the sensor to the AR mm-hmm. to move the story. And it's yeah. like, but then how? What? That's cool, but and and yeah. So I think that there's a transitory time right now where we are either really like hyper like you were saying like sense based like sensual based that we want to touch stuff we yeah. want to be in the show with them and then there's this also this other pull of like yeah but tech is becoming really cool and more accessible like that you can download an app for a dollar instead of 500 or whatever like you know like like building stuff yeah. on google play and it's stuff it's almost the kind of thing that if you were to take it out of a strictly theater setting mm. so people are not necessarily sitting in a in a group yeah but if they can like move around the room. And this is where my mind goes, thing, yeah. I really like site specific. A lot yeah. of the things that I've created have been site specific. One of the very first plays, possibly my very first play, was a five hour um, exploratory day where I was um, Catherine Flynn and I was the Irish servant uh, to Gibson House Museum. You met me at the front door and I took you through my day mm. working as an 1850s Irish immigrant. And they made food. They ended up eating the food that they mm. made over a hearth fire. They like did the laundry with me. We sat and had tea midday and I told them the story of my immigration mm. and, the, and the Irish famine. And it was, it was a five hour epic. Mm. And it's sold out. Who are you people? I love you. <laughs> but that, again, you want that experience and you want something more than yeah. a passive story, yeah. like that, to be a passive audience member. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hungry for that. I don't yeah. know if you are listening to this and you are also a creator and you are hungry for these things too. Let's make stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah, let, yeah. Let's, let's, um, let's groove with the Whiskey Ginger Collective. I actually would love to have more instances where people uh, – where creatives get together and just talk about and just jam shit and like oh no but if you were to do this and like build on each other I think that would be yeah that's sort of something that we don't do because you of. can only know what you know mm-hmm. until exactly. somebody says well yeah. there's an app for that or mm-hmm. there's a jam for that yeah I know a guy who yeah. I know a girl who yeah yeah and those only happen like when you get a bunch of people sitting around talking about a podcast all kinds of things yeah. <laughs> like right now sure yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, I also, I mean, if you're listening to this, please comment with like where people are doing their creative jams, because I know that there's a couple, there's like something called the Monday Nighters, there's cold reads, but like, they're, they, I don't know, like, are there more free flow kind of creative talks happening? Yeah, a lot there? of those, those, the, like the, the, the cold reads, the, the sing for your supper, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're pretty structured where it's like, you're reading from a new thing rather than, than people sort of sitting around jamming jamming or talking about stuff that usually happens at the bar after the those sorts of meetups yeah in my experience yeah. except that i'm i'm always on my way out after because i have a day job and so i have to exactly that's the problem all the good stuff yeah. happens when i need to be going home because your brain starts to turn off like, and it's yeah, like i like can't bedtime. Time for bed. yeah yeah so, um, in terms of uh, uh, of the this the whisker ginger whiskey ginger thing, I would say whisker ginger ginger I, thing, but that's like that's whatever. Not at all what no, we're doing here. That sounds like a Santa Claus thing. I don't know. Chris <laughs> <laughs> um, Kringle? Maybe. Oh, um, that's another project. Um, <laughs> another dimension. And, yes. Um, so when when is that happening? Uh, the Whiskey Ginger Collective New Works Festival is March nineteenth through the twenty fourth. 
Uh, tickets are on sale uh, through our website, whiskeygingercollective.org. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we have some incentives. We've got Pay What You Can Tuesdays and Sunday. You can even reserve your Pay What You Can seat for only $5 online. Uh, $15 arts worker because, hey, aren't we all? Mm-hmm. And uh, $20 anytime seats uh, for the everybody's. And, and, you know, if, if any of these things, if you want to know more about what's happening uh, with, the, with the other playwrights, uh, it sounds like our tagline is uh, raise a glass, raise the dead. Um, yeah, so three shows and three shots in one night. Okay. I made that up myself. Um, and because it's, yeah, they're, they're all these uh, new works uh, by Chloe and, and uh, Kieran and um, Rosemary is hosting us at the Red Sandcastle. So it's going to be a mixed bag of pretty awesome stuff, i got to say. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks a lot, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.